Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. So today we'll be continuing through the eczematous rashes with a quick episode on two other common conditions, stasis dermatitis and asteatotic eczema. Since differentiating stasis dermatitis from cellulitis is so important for proper management, we will spend some extra time going over what I call the red leg differential, which should also be quite helpful for our listeners in primary care who often see these patients before we do as dermatologists. But first, let's start with a quick review of our reaction patterns, which we break into five groups. 1. Papulosquamous, 2. Eczematous, 3. Vascular, 4. Dermal, and 5. Vesiculobullous. Remember we think of eczematous rashes as being acute, subacute, or chronic. Any of the eczematous conditions that we'll discuss can take on any of these three forms, but because they have a predictable course, we'll group them into acute eczema caused by irritant and allergic contact dermatitis, subacute eczema caused by stasis dermatitis, which we'll discuss today, and lastly, chronic eczema caused by asteatotic eczema or atopic dermatitis. Before we discuss stasis dermatitis, let's throw in our disclaimer. This episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmstead Medical Center, or their affiliates. Okay, so we all need to know stasis dermatitis really well so we can save some of these poor patients from being admitted and getting unnecessary antibiotics. So, stasis dermatitis is also known as gravitational dermatitis, or stasis eczema, and is commonly seen on the lower legs of patients with chronic venous insufficiency. The name stasis dermatitis is helpful because it reminds us that it is caused by stasis of the blood in the legs, and it presents as inflammation or dermatitis in these affected areas. What is the pathogenesis of stasis dermatitis, and how does it present clinically? What happens is that over the years, our venous valves in our legs become incompetent, leading to venous hypertension and extravasation of fluid and red blood cells out of the blood vessels and into the interstitium which then leads to edema, hemosiderin deposition, and inflammation in the skin. People who have spent years working on their feet, such as cashiers or bank tellers, are especially at risk of trashing their venous valves and predisposing themselves to chronic venous insufficiency. As far as the clinical presentation, stasis dermatitis classically presents as a subacute eczema with erythematous, slightly scaly patches and plaques on the lower legs, especially affecting the medial side of the lower leg, and with associated pitting edema. Stasis derm is usually bilateral, but it can also be unilateral, especially if the patient has had trauma, prior cellulitis, or surgery on the affected side, such as vein harvest for coronary artery bypass. Stasis derm may or may not be itchy, and like other eczematous conditions, it can present in acute, subacute, or chronic forms. Acute cases of stasis derm present as bright red, warm, tender patches or plaques that may have vesicles or weeping serous fluid. When one of these patients walks into our office here in Jacksonville, our first question is if they were at Disney over the weekend, since standing in long lines all day can really flare up some good acute stasis derm in patients with a history of venous insufficiency. Then also keep in mind that there are chronic forms of stasis dermatitis with more scale and more hyperpigmentation due to hemosiderin deposition and possibly lipodermatosclerosis. 
Ah, lipodermatosclerosis. I remember my first eight-syllable word. Do you even know what it means? Lipodermatosclerosis is a sclerosing paniculitis of the lower legs that can also have acute, subacute, and chronic forms, but is typically seen in more chronic cases of venous insufficiency and presents with more indurated pink to red plaques. This induration is due to fibrosis caused by fibrinogen leaking out of the veins, and advanced cases of lipodermatosclerosis will have the appearance of an inverted champagne bottle over time. Besides progressing to lipodermatosclerosis, what are three other complications that can occur in stasis dermatitis? Those would be contact sensitization, autosensitization known as an id reaction, and secondary infections. Contact sensitization, also known as allergic contact dermatitis, which you know very well by this point, occurs at a higher rate in these patients, which is often due to patients putting triple antibiotic ointments on the rash since they think it's infected. They may also be predisposed to contact allergy due to the impaired skin barrier and increased vascularity and inflammatory cells present, which are rare to go to set off this type 4 hypersensitivity. I have had multiple patients in this scenario who are convinced that they're helping themselves with these triple antibiotic ointments, but by explaining that they're basically rubbing poison ivy on their rash due to being allergic to the bacitracin or neomycin components, they usually grasp this concept a little better. The second complication of stasis dermatitis is autosensitization, also known as an id reaction. Ah, a two-letter word. Probably easier for your little brain to grasp. What exactly is an id reaction? Id reactions are immune-mediated eczematous or papulovesicular lesions that occur at sites distant from a primary rash that is usually stasis dermatitis with or without contact sensitization, tinea pedis, or scabies. Again, these id reactions are usually due to stasis dermatitis with or without contact sensitization, tinea pedis, or scabies. Id reactions usually occur days or weeks after a flare of one of these rashes and usually presents symmetrically on the hands, arms, and thighs. We don't know exactly why it happens, but some theories are that these allergens or the immune cells that are reacting to them spread through the blood to the distant sites and cause the secondary id lesions. Our immune system is getting ramped up but isn't doing much to address the actual problem. Think of these id reactions like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum or trying to argue. It's an impressive reaction, but it usually makes no sense and does nothing to address the original problem. The same concept applies to the tuberculids that occur with tuberculosis infections. So again, remember that id reactions are lesions that occur at sites distant from a primary rash that is usually stasis dermatitis with or without contact sensitization, tinea pedis, or scabies. So we've covered the first two complications of stasis derm, that being contact sensitization and id reactions, so let's quick discuss the third and final complication, secondary infections. Because of the altered skin barrier and poor circulation in stasis dermatitis, these patients are predisposed to getting a superinfection from staph or strep. I know as dermatologists we harp on never using the diagnosis bilateral cellulitis since it is incredibly rare as the primary process. However, we should keep in mind that stasis derm can get secondarily infected. 
In these situations, it is probably better described as stasis dermatitis with secondary impetigenization, so keep an eye out for subtle, honey-colored crusting on these affected areas. Doctor, it's been a whole eight minutes and we still haven't heard from you. The nurse is wondering if you're ever going to see the patient. So let's pretend this patient is coming in for redness on his right lower extremity that's flared up over the past few days. Let's quickly talk through our differential before we share some pearls on the H&P for these patients. As far as the differential goes, we've talked about stasis derm, lipodermatosclerosis, and contact dermatitis. So let's talk real quick about cellulitis and also keep another two diagnoses in mind that we cannot miss. Deep vein thrombosis and the rarely encountered necrotizing fasciitis. For cellulitis, remember that it shows the four cardinal signs of inflammation. Oh, let's hear it from our syphilis expert. What are the four cardinal signs of information? If the skin has the four cardinal signs, it will be red, hot, swollen, and tender. Rubor, calor, tumor, and dolor. Patients uncommonly have systemic changes like fevers and fatigue to go with their cellulitis and they may also have an elevated white blood cell count, but not usually. Moderate to severe cases of cellulitis can also have vesicles, bulla, bruising, and petechia to go along with the erythema, so don't let these features throw you off. So when this patient comes to you with a red leg, what should you inquire about? Let your differential guide your questions. Is the rash painful or is it itchy? Pain suggests cellulitis, whereas pruritus suggests stasis derm or contact derm. Did you spend significant time on your feet recently, such as a trip to Disney? If yes, think stasis derm. Or did the patient do the opposite and spend a significant time immobilized on a long plane ride or a car ride? If yes, think DVT. Is the rash usually one-sided or does it affect both legs? If it's bilateral, you're most likely dealing with stasis derm. Does the patient have risk factors for an infection or MRSA, such as a history of diabetes, taking immunosuppressants such as prednisone, or being recently hospitalized? And finally, ask them what they've been putting on their rash, because we all know that triple antibiotics can cause allergic contact dermatitis as well. Alright, you get some answers to these questions that lean you towards one diagnosis or another, so let's confirm it with a good physical exam. Look closely to determine if there is unilateral or bilateral involvement. Unilateral involvement is more suggestive of a cellulitis, but remember that stasis derm can also be unilateral in some cases. Look for a portal of entry for skin infection, such as tinea pedis or skin maceration between the toes. Look closely at the rash itself for scale, which argues against cellulitis and is suggestive of stasis dermatitis. Palpate the affected skin, checking for signs of necrotizing fasciitis such as exquisite pain or crepitus. Also palpate for pitting edema and dorsiflex and plantar flex the foot for your home sign for DVT, which we know isn't very sensitive or specific, but it's still worth checking. While you're thinking about DVT, look for unilateral swelling suggestive of the diagnosis. Another nice trick for determining cellulitis versus stasis derm is elevating the leg for at least 30 seconds while you're talking to the patient. If the erythema improves after elevation, it is not cellulitis and more likely stasis dermatitis. And lastly, if you're worried about cellulitis, don't forget to grab a surgical marking pen and outline the erythema on the legs. That way you can monitor for improvement with whatever antibiotic regimen the patient goes on. Alright, so you went and saw your hospital consult and all signs are pointing to stasis dermatitis. You present your patient to Dr. G and he says, So you want to send this man home while the whole 
hospital thinks he needs to stay for IV antibiotics? Do you want to biopsy him? What would that show? What treatments should we give him? Should we just send him back to his miserable home? Come on now, I don't have all day, and neither does the call center. Well, since the patient has poor circulation to begin with, a biopsy isn't usually helpful and will probably heal poorly. If you did biopsy him, though, it would show spongiosis correlating with a dermatitis seen clinically, increased proliferation of capillaries which are reactive to the relative anoxia of the tissue, extravasated red blood cells and hemosiderin, and possibly fibrosis of the dermis in later stages. Again, a biopsy of stasis dermatitis would show spongiosis, proliferation of capillaries below the DEJ, red blood cell extravasation with hemosiderin deposits, and possibly dermal fibrosis. I thought I told you I don't have all day. What are you going to do for this man? Compression and elevation, compression and elevation. Compression can be achieved with compression stockings and is most effective at at least 20 millimeters of mercury. If patients are older and have a tough time getting them on, you can always recommend the types that zip up for easier use. Severe cases of stasis dermatitis may require serial unaboots. The other key to treating these patients is having them elevate their legs as much as possible, especially above the level of their heart. And as far as the dermatitis itself goes, it can be treated with topical steroids such as triamcinolone and topical antibiotics such as mupirocin if secondary impetigenization is present. And like all other chronic conditions we treat, it's also important to counsel patients on prognosis and realistic expectations. We can use all these tricks to control their disease, but there is no cure and the patients will likely be predisposed to stasis dermatitis for life. It's important to empower them to do the simple things like compression and elevation to keep their disease at bay, however. So that's what I've got for you for stasis dermatitis and our red leg differential. Next, let's quick run through asteatotic dermatitis before we sum things up. Asteatotic dermatitis, also known as eczema crackel, is considered the extreme form of xerosis that typically affects patients greater than 60. Patients start out with diffuse cirrhosis with fine scaling that progresses to inflammation and cracking of the skin that resembles cracked porcelain or a dry riverbed, which is why we call it eczema crackel, spelled C-R-A-Q-U-E-L-E, eczema crackel. Although cirrhosis is usually a chronic process, eczema crackel often occurs in an acute or subacute setting. Patients will often experience pruritus, and severe cases can be painful when the cracking of the porcelain gets deep enough to cause fissures. These severe cases can also be weepy, crusty, and even bleed on occasion as well. Tell me five things that can exacerbate a patient's cirrhosis bad enough to bring out eczema crackel. How about low humidity, harsh soaps, prolonged or frequent hot showers, and heating with wood stoves, which was pretty much my childhood growing up in a log cabin in Minnesota. Some other medical conditions to think about would also be hypothyroidism, renal failure, liver disease, malnutrition, HIV, and Sjogren's syndrome. So putting them all together, think about low humidity, harsh soaps, prolonged or frequent hot showers, heating with wood stoves, hypothyroidism, renal failure, liver disease, malnutrition, HIV, and Sjogren's syndrome. Doctor, I think my husband has this.
Can you biopsy him and tell him to get his lazy butt off the couch so he can get better? Well, usually we can make a clinical diagnosis of eczema crackel without biopsying and start with our basic management. Step 1, we need to teach your hubby about the triggers I already mentioned and how to moisturize. This means taking shorter showers that aren't too hot, but even more importantly, it means applying a thick moisturizing cream like Vanacream, Cetaphil, CeraVe, Eucerin, or even plain Vaseline within 3 minutes of getting out of the shower while the skin is still damp to lock the moisture in. For inflamed and itchy areas, mid-potency topical steroids like Triamcinolone can also be helpful, along with antihistamines if the itching is driving patients nuts. If that horrid woman's husband isn't getting better with this management and your clinical suspicion is high, what kind of workup would you consider? Remember, some potential associations with asteatotic dermatitis include hypothyroidism, renal failure, liver disease, malnutrition, HIV, and Sjogren's syndrome. So some labs to consider include a TSH, CMP to assess for renal and liver disease, HIV, zinc levels, and an ANA with reflex. Alright my friends, time to sum things up. Stasis dermatitis is caused by chronic venous insufficiency leading to erythematous, slightly scaly patches or plaques on the lower legs with associated pitting edema. Stasis derm is usually bilateral, it may or may not be itchy, and it can present in an acute, subacute, or chronic form. Acute cases of stasis derm present as bright red erythema, warm, tender patches or plaques that may have vesicles and weeping serous fluid. Subacute is the classic presentation for stasis derm, and chronic cases present with more scale, more hyperpigmentation, and can even progress to the inverted champagne bottle that we call lipodermatosclerosis. The three complications of stasis derm to remember include 1. Allergic contact dermatitis from topicals like triple antibiotic ointments, 2. Id reactions, which are immune-mediated lesions that occur at distant sites from stasis derm, tinea pedis, or scabies, and three, secondary infections and impetigenization. The diagnosis for stasis derm is clinical, but biopsy would show spongiosis, proliferation of capillaries below the DEJ, red blood cell extravasation with hemosiderin deposits, and possibly dermal fibrosis. Basic treatment includes compression, leg elevation, and topical steroids for the dermatitis. Severe cases may need unaboots or even prednisone. Next, remember that your red leg differential includes stasis derm, lipodermatosclerosis, contact dermatitis, cellulitis, DVT, and the rarely encountered necrotizing fasciitis. Some pearls to remember for your history. Is it painful, which suggests cellulitis? Is it itchy, which suggests stasis dermatitis or contact dermatitis? Have you been on your feet more recently? If yes, think stasis derm. Ask about DVT risk factors and risk factors for infections such as a history of diabetes, taking immunosuppressants such as prednisone, and recent hospitalizations. Then don't forget to ask if they've been using triple antibiotic ointment, aka topical poison ivy. Then, some pearls for your physical exam. Is it unilateral, which is more suggestive of a cellulitis, but remember that stasis derm can also be unilateral. Then look for a portal of entry for skin infection, and look closely at the rash itself for scale, which argues against cellulitis and suggests stasis dermatitis. Palpate the affected skin, checking for signs of necrotizing fasciitis such as exquisite pain or crepitus. Palpate for pitting edema and dorsiflex and plantar flex the foot for your home sign for DVT. And then elevate the leg for at least 30 seconds and if the erythema improves, it is not cellulitis and more likely stasis dermatitis. Then remember to keep your surgical marking pen with you and outline the erythema on the legs to monitor treatment response. 
Then finally, we have asteatotic eczema or eczema crackel, which presents with diffuse xerosis with fine scale progressing to inflammation and cracking of the skin that resembles cracked porcelain. Remember that some triggers and associations include low humidity, harsh soaps, prolonged or frequent hot showers, heating with wood stoves, hypothyroidism, renal failure, liver disease, malnutrition, HIV, and Sjogren's syndrome. Management includes avoiding those triggers, moisturizing daily with or without topical steroids or antihistamines, and resistant cases may require further workup including a TSH, CMP, HIV, zinc level, and an ANA with reflex. All right, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Gren Zone podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.